Hi and welcome to Saber Reason's Malicious Life. I'm Ran Levy. Colonial Pipeline, a privately held pipeline operator, was founded in 1962. Yet, despite being one of the largest operators in the U.S. and providing roughly 45% of the East Coast's supply of gasoline, diesel fuel, and even jet fuel, Colonial Pipeline became a household name only a few weeks ago, and not in a good way. On Friday, May 7th, 2021, Colonial Pipeline suffered a cyber attack that forced the company to shut down its operations. As a result, gasoline outages were reported in many East Coast states, and the federal administration issued a regional emergency declaration for several states to keep fuel supply lines open. The entity behind the attack is a criminal group known as Darkside. For this B-Side episode, Nate Nelson, our senior producer, spoke with Asaf Dahan, head of threat research at CyberReason, about the Colonial Pipeline attack, how and why it happened, and its implications, both for the security of critical infrastructure in the US and for the criminal underground of ransomware groups. That last one is particularly interesting, since it seems that the Colonial Pipeline attack has set off a somewhat unexpected trend on the dark web. That's it for me. Over to Nate and Asaf. Enjoy the interview. I'm Asaf Dahan. I'm the uh, head of the Nocturnus team. This is the threat research team at CyberReason. Uh, my team uh, kind of like uh, tracks down different threat actors, be it uh, cybercrime or APT nation state threat actors. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> For those who don't know the full story, what was the Colonial Pipeline attack? Okay, so um, based on the information that is available to us, we know that on May 6th, the business network of the Colonial Pipeline was compromised due to um, a ransomware attack. Uh, now, Colonial Pipeline is the biggest supplier of, uh, of fuels uh, on the east coast of the United States. Um, we, I, I, there have been different reports that they supply more than 45% of the east coast uh, fuels, which is quite a lot. Now, the attack effectively forced the company to temporarily shut down uh, its operation for a few days, uh, basically to allow time to investigate and also mitigate the attack. A lot of the details in this case are still not public knowledge, so there are certain limitations to what we can say, but can you tell me, generally speaking, about Darkseid's uh, attack methodology, how they go at target step by step, because, of course, they're not an entirely new threat? Yes, that is correct. So the, the, this group, uh, Darkseid, that became publicly known around August 2020, and since then, uh, my team... Another team at CyberReason, uh, of course, as other security vendors have been tracking down their operations, and we've responded to uh, multiple uh, incidents uh, involving this group. They seem to have like a, a rather uh, t- some sort of a template uh, for their uh, attack. It seems like um, first the attack will start like the initial compromise is usually through um, some sort of a password guessing uh, attack on the perimeter, either brute forcing uh, an internet-facing asset, or maybe they obtained 
uh, credentials somewhere on, on let's say, the underground communities. Uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a big market for selling access to different endpoints all over the world. So if I wanted to compromise an asset, uh, sorry, if I wanted to get an access to an asset at a, a certain company on a certain location, that is available for buying on the, you know, on the different underground communities. Uh, so there's that. Um, in certain cases, they also use spear phishing or, uh, you know, malicious emails with links and also exp- exploiting different vulnerabilities on publicly facing assets. So usually it's like one of those three uh, options. And once they get this initial uh, foothold or like once they compromise an endpoint on the, on the network, they'll uh, try to establish uh, some foothold. They usually use um, a Cobalt Stripe beacon and Cobalt Strike is a, is a very well-known um, red team or penetration testing tool uh, that simulates advanced attackers. It's basically the go-to tool that a lot of ethical hackers or penetration testers use, but also uh, we see a lot of um, different threat actors use it because it's uh, very effective. Um, so they would establish a foothold u- using uh, different implants, such as Cobalt Strike payloads. Uh, we see a lot of, um, the group uses a lot of what we call lolbins of living off the land binaries. Uh, so basically it's um, different programs or software that are shipped with uh, Windows, like they come with Windows and they use it to download uh, different uh, tools. And it ge- gives it more stealth because uh, they use Windows own software. So it can go under the radar. So this is something that we see. So once they established um, foothold and and downloaded uh, different payloads, they would um, try to uh, escalate their privileges to get uh, to be able to, let's say, dump uh, different, um, you know, credentials, Uh, they'll probably try to get high uh, access or dump credentials of uh, what you call high privilege accounts, such as the domain administrator or other privileged accounts. And then they'll start uh, with what we call uh, internal reconnaissance. Basically, they'll try to map out the network, understand the topology architecture, trying to identify, you know, the the crown jewels. So whereas usually it's where uh, you have the um, Active Directory or the domain controller uh, or other important uh, servers. So once they uh, map it out, they'll start to try to move laterally uh, using different tools, whether it's uh, RDP or or uh, Cobalt Stripe Beacon, as I mentioned before. And then like they will move from one machine to another until they are able to compromise uh, major assets, such as a domain controller. And before they uh, actually deploy the ransomware, uh, we see that they'll, um, because they're using the double extortion scheme, which I'll get to it in a few minutes, they will try to steal a lot of data and exfiltrate it using different tools. Sometimes we're talking about gigs and even terabytes of, of data and basically exfiltrate it to their remote servers. Once they collected enough information that will be used later for, for you know, as leverage, then they will they will um, deploy the ransomware. Usually, it's uh, by um, compromising the domain controller. They'll create some sort of a 
let's say, group policy, uh, and then uh, blast uh, the network, the environment with ransomware. So that so the ransomware is actually the last phase of the attack. Uh, now, when we talk about timeline of the attack, it can vary. Some groups are very aggressive and it can be done within a few hours, but usually it takes around like nine to, let's say, 11 days. It used to be longer. Like um, in the past, we saw that threat actors, uh, ransomware groups were... Um, on the network for about like four to five weeks till they um, actually deploy the ransomware. But we see that um, with the more aggressive groups, it can take you know, like from a few days and also even a couple of hours to do it. It really depends on, on the network and how, their security posture and also the level of aggressiveness, I guess. Let's talk about the fallout of this attack in particular. Um you know, as someone who lives on the East Coast of the United States, um, I know some people who were rushing to gas stations because they heard of this story. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So um, in terms of the fallout, um, there have been major impacts. For example, so when the company shut down their systems, it created problems, obviously, with supply chain, causing a sharp, uh, I think, 4% or even more rise in fuel prices. And that created, you know, a ripple effect that affected the entire uh, energy industry and also related industries that, you know, depend on gas. And then, for, for instance, now, in order to mitigate it, uh, for instance, the Department of Transportation issued a temporary waiver that enabled um, oil products to be shipped uh, in tankers all the way up to New York. But this would, this probably didn't, uh, you know, come near to match the pipeline's, you know, capacity. So, but, the, but they try to mitigate it so the, there wouldn't be like uh, a lot of shortage, I guess. In addition, we saw that the, and that's quite uh, almost unprecedented, I think. We saw that the Biden administration issued an, an executive order uh, detailing measures to improve nationwide cybersecurity measures. Uh, so it's, I think this attack was in, in, in a sense, the last straw after a serious of cyber attacks, either by different nations or uh, cyber criminals. What it means is that the U.S. government actually recognizes its cyber posture, um, that the cyber posture is actually rather weak and lacking measure to secure its critical infrastructure. Uh, I think it, you know, it dawned on many people, I guess, in the U.S. and also outside of the U.S. that critical infrastructure in the U.S. is simply not as resilient as people might have thought. If you think about it, this incident was carried by a group of cyber criminals that claimed that, you know, they didn't mean to do it. It was kind of a bit of a oopsie daisy, quote unquote. So if you think about that, if it was like a mistake, they didn't even mean to, to do it. Uh, if you believe, you know, what, what they're saying, think about what would happen if a foreign country, for instance, you know, like an intelligence agency or a military wanted to carry out an attack and bring down a critical infrastructure. So I think a lot of people realized the danger, I guess, that lies with the, uh, and how important it, it is to, um, to protect critical infrastructures. Is it that we're still using uh, old legacy machines running old operating systems, and so they're weak to new threats? Is it that all these machines are new and connected, and so it's easy to access them over the internet? What exactly is it? It could mean all of the above, actually. Um, I think when it comes to critical infrastructure, it's I think sometimes it can be 
harder to secure because a lot of time you get, you know, black boxes, um, assets, and not a lot of people know how to deal with it. But generally speaking, when we talk about critical infrastructure, you talk about thousands and thousands of machines that you have to uh, secure. Some of them are publicly like internet facing, and some of them are like within the internal network that is not supposed to be exposed. But obviously there are connections sometimes. And if the networks are not segregated well enough, uh, that could po- pose a problem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, we know that even with, um, you know, enterprises or even small to medium businesses, uh, securing the parameter is not an easy task. Um, if you have thousands and thousands of endpoints and all of them needs to be secure, it takes only one endpoint that, you know, was not properly patched or somehow forgotten and attackers need, you know, only one, you know, they only need to win this battle once because once they get a foothold, uh, they can, um, they can propagate. Okay. So what do we know about the people behind this attack? Darkside are a relatively new ransomware uh, group. Um, they made their fair first appearance around August 2020. Uh, they operate a RAS model, which is a ransomware as a service, where they offer a subscription-based model, um, which in which they give access to their infrastructure and also the the ransomware itself um, to people who want to, I guess, engage in cybercrime and and uh, and have. Uh, a ransomware operation. So they, they have an affiliate program, uh, which is a, a major force multiplier. So if I, for instance, or anyone else wanted uh, to engage with them, you would contact them through uh, like different um, means in, in, the, in the underground community. Uh, and then they'll probably vet you and then you pay them, um, you know, an agreed uh, sum of money to get access to their infrastructure. Yeah, it's it's almost yeah, it's pre- pretty much like that. Uh, now, they made themselves a name for being quite aggressive, and they implement what we call the double extortion scheme, meaning that, as I mentioned, that they, they not only do they uh, encrypt the victim's data, but they also exfiltrate large amounts of data, and they basically threaten uh, the victims to publish it or sell it to the highest bit- bidder. So. Um, they use uh, like with the information the, that they're stealing from the their victims. They use it as leverage to put on more pressure on the victims, and basically twisting their arms into pain. Uh, it's quite effective against um, what we call more mature organization. That even even if they have like backups or disaster re- disaster recovery plans. Um, and they can restore their own data, most companies would not want to risk having sensitive data being published or sold out there on the, on the dark web. So it's basically, it's basically every company's worst nightmare to have you know their data out there, whether it's contracts, customer information, financial reports, it could be um, intellectual property, patents, and, and so on. So if this data is out there and being published, um, it could have um, a lot of, uh, it can inflict a lot of damage on the company. So a lot of people, or sorry, a lot of companies, even if they can restore their own data, um, they're still have, they still find themselves, you know, in a situation that they still have to pay their ransomware, the ransom fee, just so this 
data would not be leaked to the public. Another thing that is interesting about this company, uh, this group, the dark side group, that uh, they seem to uh, mainly target English-speaking countries. So we've seen some other European uh, countries also affected some places in Asia. But uh, we see that they really avoid targeting or attacking countries uh, that were uh, what we call in the, the former Soviet uh, bloc nations. So you can actually see it in the malware code, the ransomware code itself, that they look for uh, language settings and keyboard of, of, of Russian-speaking countries, like you know Ukraine, Uzbekistan, whatever, Russia, of course, and they will simply not, um, I mean, th- they won't encrypt the endpoint if they discover that uh, Russian language is installed there. Probably not uh, to, um, I guess, targeted by the by the Russian uh, law enforcement agencies. I mean, they're probably afraid of uh, Russian retaliation if they attacked uh, former Soviet bloc nations. I guess one other um, quirk of this group, you could say, is that um, they have a certain code of ethics that you don't always find among hacker groups. Like I, uh, I heard that they will not go after hospitals, charitable organizations, that kind of thing. Um, am I allowed to like them just a little bit because they kind of have this Peter Pan thing going on? Yeah. Well, you know, they also posted the, you know, invoices on their blog showing that they actually contributed some of their, uh, money to charities. Uh, does that absolve them of their crimes? I'm not sure. In my opinion, their uh, Robin Hood uh, model of trying to appear as hackers with you know morals or ethics is basically a cover up. Uh, they they try to appear maybe less dangerous, but as this incident taught us, it's not really the case. I don't know. I mean, I, they, they try to claim that. You know, if uh, in one of their posts that, uh, or they suggested uh, very uh, gently that it's probably one of their affiliates who broke their code of conduct, and it was it was almost by mistake. But you know, I don't know if if we should believe them or not. It's uh, I don't know. My guess is good as yours, I guess. Fair enough. So in the end, uh, Colonial did pay their ransom, or at least that's what the reports say. Um, I know that the rule is that you're not supposed to pay ransomware dealers, but in their position, would you have really done anything different, Asaf? Well, it's hard to put yourself in other people's shoes, right? Or uh, it's very hard to judge a company in that situation. I guess there's no, I think the truth is, or at least my opinion is that there's no absolute right or wrong here. I think each company has to run its own risk assessment and carefully calculate the pros and cons of, of what they would gain or lose from uh, keeping it hush hush or and paying the ransom or um, standing up to the attackers. Also, paying the ransom is not always that simple because it might expose the company to some legal actions. I, in some countries, cooperating with, uh, let's say, whether it's a terror entity or, or a criminal entity could be considered as a crime. So it's not always that straightforward. But then again, on the other hand, if they don't pay and uh, data is leaked, then they are also exposed to legal actions or even or regulatory fines. If you think about GDPR, for example, so if, uh, let's say, um, their customer's data was leaked and there's PII uh, information there, 
they could be uh, exposed to legal and regulatory actions. So it, it's really it's a real pickle. What do we know about what happened after they paid their ransom? Did Darkside Group fulfill their end of the deal? Well, uh, it has been reported that Colonial paid around $5 million. The figures changed from from one report to another, but it's around $5 million in ransom. And it seems like they restored their business continuity. So I guess that Darkside did follow through. Uh, I mean, and it's usually the case with with the big ransomware groups. The truth is that 95% uh, around that number, if you pay, you'll get your data back or they'll decrypt your data. Uh, They do seem quite reliable on that case. Can't say that you can trust them blindly, right? But uh, usually if you pay, you'll get your data back. My next question, in, in sports, there's a kind of truism that sometimes you lose games and sometimes the other team beats you, as in sometimes you, you play poorly and make silly mistakes, but other times you do everything you can and then you're just outplayed. Um, Asaf, did Colonial lose here or did the dark side group beat them? Well, there's an old saying that, uh, that says that in war there are only losers And I think it might apply to this incident as well, although I'm quite convinced that the attackers still won to a certain extent. So if you consider the damages that were inflicted on Colonial, like all of the costs involving the business side or business continuity, you know, they they lost millions of dollars each day. They they were not operating the supply chain attack. Um, the cost of you know the investigation, uh, the forensic and incident response um, efforts, rebuilding their network probably, uh, not to mention the reputational damage. That alone is far greater than what they paid or allegedly paid in, in ransom fee. On the other hand, if you consider dark side, uh, so they were put on a on a under the spotlight of basically every security company and law enforcement agencies in America and also probably around the world. Basically, they had to shut down their operation, or at least they that's what they're claiming. Um, it was reported or claimed that uh, some unknown law enforcement agency took the, down their sa- uh, servers and uh, seized their uh, Bitcoin wallet um, and transferred the funds to an unknown location. Again, it's according to um, it's according to the hackers. So the, I don't think any, at least to the best of my knowledge, uh, no law enforcement agency confirmed that, or at least took responsibility or claimed responsibility for, for this. But in a way, they, they did. It seems like they they you know closed shop. For, for a while. But overall, if you think about it, like um, it has, has been estimated that they made, that the dark side made uh, at least $90 million in revenue so far, like since they, they began their operation. So unless they're actually physically caught by law enforcement agencies, uh, they can probably, you know, enjoy uh, early retirement, and uh, you know, with ninety million dollars, you can do quite quite a lot. And maybe one day, if they're still hungry for, you know, and the greedy, and the, and then they're hungry for making more money, they can regroup, rebrand, and 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 make make a comeback. So, if you think about it, I think they they, they have the upper hand here. Um, uh, 
unless they're you know caught and everything, all their money is seized. So what can companies do to protect themselves against threats like the dark side group? That, that's a good question. I'll, I'll just say that uh, in terms of like um, of the aftermath of the attack, I think this is also something that is important to uh, to keep in mind. So according to one of the members uh, of Revel, which is another prominent ransomware group. So shortly after the incident, uh, they claimed that, uh, so they kind of like posted something on behalf of DarkSide saying that DarkSide lost access to their servers. And as I mentioned, that their Bitcoin wallet was seized uh, and, and their funds were transferred to an unknown location. Now, we don't know whether it's true or not, but the group's website has been down since. They also say that the, the group encouraged, well, they said they said that they're going to seize their uh, ransomware as a service operation, and they encouraged other groups to switch to a tighter, uh, closed-knit operation, meaning that, you know, um, working less with, um, with affiliates, making it less accessible to whoever. Uh, so I think there's this is one effect. They also mentioned that, uh, DarkSide mentioned that they re- release a decryptor for all of their victims, which also means that they kind of try to repent in a way. But I think m- one of the mo- most interesting uh, side effects or ripple effect is actually seen in the underground cybercrime community. So we saw groups like Revel or and Avedon. Avedon is by, by, um, by the way is the group that uh, took down the Irish healthcare system, completely paralyzing their their network. Uh, and healthcare is, in my opinion, critical infrastructure. Those group, Revel and Avedon, uh, announced that they will now avoid hitting critical infrastructure, healthcare, charities. Basically, they kind of adopted their uh, um, like dark side Robin Hood uh, model. In addition, they said that, you know, in addition to like revising their code of conduct, they also, the admins of those groups said that they um, will create a verification or approval process or vetting for their affiliates. Uh, So before they, let's say, hit a target, they, like the core team has to authorize uh, it. So they kind of can avoid similar incidents in the future. And perhaps one of the most interesting side effects is that we're seeing uh, in the underground communities that the admins and moderators of prominent hacking forums are now banning ransomware groups there. So um, they're probably fear that they'll be put on the spot and taken down by law enforcement agencies for enabling and facilitating ransomware attacks. So I think it's, it's going to be very interesting to see if this trend will continue and uh, how it will affect this ransomware, the overall ransomware landscape. <laughs> so that was a bit of a detour. And <laughs> now to answer your question, uh, what companies can do in order to protect themselves? So uh, when, when it comes to that, there, there's no uh, you know magic trick. It basically boils down to a few basic principles of keeping a good IT hygiene, making sure that every uh, internet-facing asset or endpoint is properly patched, updated. Um, It has um, some sort of a security solution, be it a next-gen antivirus or or EDR, uh, that your network is also protected. So we're looking at security in layers. So you, you want to protect your endpoints, you want to protect the network, 
also you want to make sure that you have good topology or our network architecture, that things are segregated well enough, that you have good auditing. So there's that. I think early detection in the, these cases is an absolute must because as we've seen again and again and again, when a ransomware is deployed or mass deployed on an environment, it's not like all of a sudden. It usually takes days or sometimes weeks uh, of operation that the, you know from the initial compromise until they actually uh, manage to deploy ransomware. So if you are able to detect those early stages, um, you can hopefully nip it in the bud, preventing um, such attacks from occurring. And um, I'm also a, a, a great advocate um, of threat hunting. So you want to be able, to, I think each company should, aside from you know looking after the security posture, they need to be aware of what's out there, what threats are out there, different malware or ransomware strains, different groups study their modus operandi, their TTPs, and create... Uh, their own hunting um, rules, basically continuously hunting proactively for threats. Because sometimes when by the time you get an alert from a given security product, it could be too late. So I really encourage companies to be more proactive rather than respond or reactive you know, by responding to alerts. You have to look for threats constantly. Oh my God. Oh my God. CK Music